0: And we are finally going to finish the book of Nehemiah. Some of you guys are just so happy that we're finishing Nehemiah now. But there are so many lessons that we can learn and draw from this book, Nehemiah chapter 13. Specifically in the area of leadership. So one of the most impactful, one of the most inspiring and bold leaders that we see throughout the Bible, and specifically in the Old Testament, is Nehemiah. A man here whose name means, right, the Lord has comforted. He came on the scene here to a place where there was ruins to restore it now as a comforter type or as the Holy Spirit type that we see that comforts to restore our lives. But one of the things that we see throughout the end of the book of Nehemiah is that he ushers in Ezra the priest to come and instill the Word of God as the Holy Spirit points us to Scripture and to the Word of God to get people back on track so that people would stay the course in obeying now the Lord. But now we are in chapter 13 and we see that the people had now become comfortable. You know what's interesting? That after you are restored, after you go from ruin to restoration, that easily now, we step into a place where we become comfortable. And you know what happens when you become comfortable? You also enter or you can become compromising. And that's why it's important that we are really being careful, that we are watching out for those seasons in life where we are spiritually comfortable. Are you spiritually comfortable today, or are you more spiritually committed than you ever have been? Because if we are spiritually comfortable right now, it's going to lead us to be spiritually compromising. (laughs) But you know what I like about what Nehemiah does is he does what the Holy Spirit does to us all the time. He takes us back to the Word of God because he goes from, he goes and he sees the nation of Israel being now comfortable to compromising. So then he confronts them with the Word of God. It's important that today we become confronted with the Word of God. That you are confronted with the calling of God in your life. That you are confronted with the standard of holiness that you see in God's Word. Because of chapter 13, we know that Nehemiah was a man of unwavering loyalty to God. He was more loyal to God than he was loyal to anything else. He was more loyal to God than he was now at the king's palace. He was more loyal to God's work than any other work that was taking place around him. Have you ever got distracted to the work that's taking place around you that you forgot to take care of the work that was taking place inside you? See, today God wants you to pay attention to the work going inside you so that then you can adhere to and take care of that work that's going around you. And the church had to become comfortable, or the nation had to become comfortable. They had to become compromising that led them now to become confronted in the Word of God. And we learned that Nehemiah was not watered down because he stood to the Word of God. He did not water down when it came to the Word of God. And he was courageous enough to confront his brothers and his sisters. We have to be courageous today in the time that we live in. More courageous than ever to be able to confront sin. Can you say today that you are courageous enough... And able, courageous, bold enough, obedient enough, willing to please God enough to confront sin in your life with the Word of God or in the life of those people that you love. Because if you are not willing to confront sin, guess what? Sin will destroy you. And we see that Nehemiah was willing to confront sin. And we learn here through the, what Nehemiah is about to do in chapter 13 that God is. Not concerned with crowds as he is so much with channels, you and me, channels that are pure and that are clean and that are ready to please God. Too many times we're we're impressed with crowds instead of being concerned with channels, divine channels, divine resources that are pure, that are holy, that are clean, that are willing to please God. And this is what Nehemiah does. He was a man of convictions that was willing to confront. Now ask yourself today. How do you respond to confrontation? How do you respond to confrontation? Do you respond to confrontations in repentance? When you get confronted with the Word of God, when you are convicted with the Word of God, do you respond to confrontation in repentance? Or maybe in humility? Or do we respond to confrontation in anger or in pride? Or how about in the other way, when you are called to confront someone else? Do you pray and say, God, use my imperfect attempt of confronting this brother and sister. Use this imperfect attempt for good. You say, Lord, I want you to use this imperfect vessel, this imperfect attempt, as I confront someone in love for the good and the edification of that person. We must do it this way. Because confrontation should always come from a position of love. Confrontation should always come from the position of edification. And you know why it was so important right here that he confronted them? Because there was five areas in chapter 13 that the nation of Israel backslid with. There's a danger in backsliding when we become comfortable. And they backslid in five specific now areas. Five areas in which they backslid in their commitment to God and became compromising. Now I want you to know when the Lord confronts you, when the Lord confronts you through His Word, when you're confronted, it's not for you to get discouraged, but it's for you to be, to be able to grow and to be edified and to understand that your relationship with God is important. I like in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 where we believe that Paul says here this, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged. Now I want you to write that in your Bible, if you write in your Bible, and I encourage you to write in your Bible, do not be discouraged of discipline, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens, and He scourges every son whom He receives. What is the first thing that me and you want to do when the Lord corrects us, and when the Lord confronts us? We become very discouraged. We close off to that confrontation. To the conviction, we become to be discouraged. No, Paul exhorts now the church, the Hebrews, do not be discouraged when you are disciplined by the Lord, because you're going to see a lot of discipline happen here in chapter 13. Now I'm going to start with verse one to summarize what we went through the first few verses and see what are the five areas in which the nation of Israel backslid after they moved in back into Jerusalem after the walls of Jerusalem are now established. After now the Levites are in place, after now the temple priests are in place, where did they compromise? Where did they go wrong? Something went wrong. Where did they go wrong? Let's read in Nehemiah 13, 1. On that day, they read of the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And it was found written that no Ammonite And Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you. Because your word teaches us, Lord, as we read it, we can find, Lord, your truth. As we read it, we can find direction. As we read it, we can find your will. We can find your leading. And I pray, Lord, today we would read it so that we would find that very thing that we came searching for today. It's not a coincidence we're here this Wednesday night. And this message is for many of us here tonight. I pray that we would find in your word what we came looking for. In Jesus' name, amen. You notice how in verse 1 of chapter 13, it says that on that day who they, the nation of Israel and Nehemiah, what did they do? Number one, they read from the book of Moses. Number one, their priorities are, they're going back to the Word of God to set that standard, and they read from the book of Moses. Now, when they read, it says something in verse 1 that we have to pay attention to, because it says when they read, they also, in the hearing of the people, what do they do when they read here? It says that they found. You know why sometimes we don't find where God is leading us? Well, because we're not reading in the God's Word. I love what it says that they read, and in that very same verse, they found what was written. In order for you to be able to find God's will for your life, you have to know what is written. If you don't know what is written, you will never understand or find the will of God for your life. I was reading the Bible at work, sitting on a ledge on my lunch break just a few weeks ago. And somebody was walking in, they say, What well, wait, what are you doing there? Are you reading the Bible? <laughs> and they say, Yeah, I'm reading the Bible. And then they, they, they approached me and they said, are you, do you work at the bank? I was like, yeah, I work at the bank. What are you doing reading the Bible here? I was like, I'm just reading just throughout my break. I just want to get into it a little bit. And, you know, and I asked them where this gentleman was from. And, and he told me, you know what? I work at a church, but I never read the Bible. I don't know the Bible. And I, I want to know the Bible the way you're doing. I'm just so hungry to know God's word. You know what? How we can easily become malnourished when it comes to God's Word? All of us? Because we're not reading what's written? When you know what is written, you can find the answers that we're looking for so desperately in all the wrong places at times. But it tells us here in verse 2, "...because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, they hired Balaam against them to curse them. However. Our God turned the curse into blessings. Now they learn through the book of Moses, now as in the Old Testament it would say that they ought to not mix in with the Ammonite or the Moabite. Why? Because when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, the Moabite and the Ammonite did not receive them or give them bread or water for their journey. And they hired now Balaam, a false prophet, to curse them, but God turned this cursing into a blessing. I want you to know today that God is more than able to turn a curse or a negative situation into a blessing even when you're in the wilderness season. And that's exactly what He did for the nation of Israel. He said, I want you to remember that you ought to be separate from them. You ought to be holy from them. You are not to let them enter into the assembly or into the gathering now of God or into the temple of God. They are to be separate. Now the word separate is important because we in today's world ought to remember that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And it's important that we maintain our holiness even in the world around us. How do you maintain your holiness? By sticking close to the word of God. Maintain your holiness. Now it tells us in verse 4, so it was when they heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. The mixed multitude. Now the word mixed multitude means that these people wanted to affiliate themselves with God's people, but they didn't want to make a commitment to the Lord. You know how dangerous that is? That we want to, become affiliated or others want to affiliate themselves with the church or with yourself right as you're walking with the Lord but they don't want to make any real commitment of following the Lord or being loyal to God they said I want you to separate yourself from them so that you maintain your holiness separate yourself in verse three why so that everyone knows where they stand so that it is not a mixed multitude, so that no one has the option of being neutral, so that they can decide whether I'm committed or I'm not committed. You have to make a decision. We don't want a mixed multitude, the Lord said. You want to make sure that they make a decision. But now Nehemiah takes these next takes action and takes steps. And these five areas. The first area is that they were not they were not separated. They were they had allowed others to come in and to mix with them that God had not called them to mix with. Now verse 9, it says, Now before Eliashib, the priest having authority over the storerooms of the house of God, was allied with Tobiah. Do you understand some of the main principles in which they, got, they started to become backslidden with was because of the wrong relationships that they were in? Our relationships will get us into trouble if they're not God-honoring relationships. We must remember that. At first it was the Ammonites and the Moabites, but in verse 4 it tells us that Eliashib the priest had now allowed having authority over the house of God in the storerooms was allied with Tobiah. Tobiah was a man that continuously represented the work of the flesh by opposing the work of the spirit by opposing now the work of God. And this priest said, you know what Tobiah, why don't you come on in to the house of God? Why don't, why don't we ally ourselves to now Tobiah, to, uh, to somebody that's opposing the work of the Spirit. For this entire time, from the first day that Nehemiah wanted to start to build the walls of Jerusalem, Tobiah opposed the work. But now this priest started to welcome that. You know why? Because this priest was not accountable. Because this priest started to compromise, started to have a lack of accountability. And it tells us this in verse 5, And he prepared for him a large room where he previously had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense and the articles of the tithes of the grain, the new wine, the oil which was commanded to be given, of the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the offerings for the priests. So this room that was intended to meet the needs of the house of God, to serve, to minister to the needs of the people, was emptied out to allow someone who, who represented the work of the flesh, or oppose the work of the Spirit to come in and to dwell there. You see, it's either the Holy Spirit that's going to live inside you, or it's going to be something else, the work of the flesh, that's going to be living inside you. And it's interesting here as we see that, that Tobiah comes in here, because they emptied out this room to let Tobiah in. And in verse 6 it tells us, But during all of this, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Xerxes, king of Babylon... I had returned to the king, and then after certain days, I obtained a leave from the king. Nehemiah was absent here. And when there was an absence of leadership, the entire nation of Israel compromised. That's why leadership is so important. Nehemiah stepped away to go to Jerusalem. And as soon as he stepped away, they started to allow Tobiah in to the house of God. See, it's important that we realize this. Because what are the storehouses of your heart filled with today? what are they filled with? Are they filled with the intended purpose that God designed them to be? Your, your, your hearts will either be filled with the Holy Spirit or be filled with something completely different. And, and the, the reason why our lives are not filled with the Holy Spirit is because more often than in times, they're filled with something else. And we ask the Lord, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. And He can't do that because there is no room in your life for the Holy Spirit to take place. The Holy Spirit will not share space with something else. It tells, it, it, now it tells us here, as we continue reading, in verse 7, And I came to Jerusalem and discovered that the, the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God, preparing a room for the work of the flesh in the temple of God. Please make sure that today you're not preparing a room in your own heart for the work of the flesh to live there, to get comfortable. Now Nehemiah comes in, he's courageous to confront them. And he said, And it grieved me bitterly. He became angry. He became sorrowful for this. That the, God, the house of God was used for a purpose that wasn't intended, for something that didn't glorify God. And it, it, it grieved him bitterly. He wasn't just comfortable. He wasn't saying, You know what? We'll just allow Tobiah to come in. Let's just give him some room. Let's just give him a few days. No, he didn't tolerate things that did not honor God. He did not tolerate this. And it said here, it grieved them. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. He threw it out. He didn't come and he said, you know what? Well, Tobiah, I think we have to make it an agreement here and you're going to have to make some room for us to put back in the grain, the the new wine and all the articles that belong in the storehouse so that we can share the space and and we can use this room for what it's intended for. No, he said he went in there, Nehemiah, and started to throw out the things that did not belong there. Do we have to clean up house today so that we can make room for the Holy Spirit to inhabit that place? You see, the more room that you make for the Holy Spirit, the more the Holy Spirit will inhabit your life. Throw out whatever does not belong there. Clean the room. And he restored it. It tells us here in verse 9 that I commanded them to cleanse the room and brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offerings and with its frankincense. I told him, clean the room out and bring back the articles that belong into the house of God. You think Nehemiah was apologetic? You think Nehemiah asked for permission here? You think he was scared about being politically correct (laughs) and kicking out Tobiah? You think he wanted to please Tobiah? No, he didn't. He had one intention in mind that was to please God. He didn't care he offended Tobiah because he was more concerned about pleasing God than who he was going to offend. I think today sometimes we, we consider who we will offend in the process of pleasing God, and that's exactly why we end up in a compromising situation. We're more concerned about who we will offend in the process of pleasing God and it leads us into a situation that we don't belong in. See, we should not consider it. What should be our priority is to clean the house of God because our leadership, our our, our lives, they're not a popularity contest. It's about pleasing God. It's about being pleasing to God, number one. That was the second area and where they backslid. They allowed something in the house of God that didn't belong in the house of God. First, they started to mix. Then they started to bring things in the house of God that didn't belong there. You see how the church is moving in the direction that it is today. We look around and the church wants to attract or please the world more than it wants to please the word of God. And it will start to allow things in the church that really do not belong there. (laughs) So then the Holy Spirit cannot operate the way it should. Now, think about what happens next. And it says, verse 10, I also realized the portions of the Levites had not been given to them for each of the Levites and the singers. All who did the work had gone back to the field. The Levites, the priests, those that were temple servants, had to go back to work. For what reason? Because the nation of Israel wasn't giving or providing for the needs of those that ministered in the house of God. So I contended or I confronted them with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? Underline that in your Bible, please, church, today. Why is the house of God forsaken? You know when we forsake the house of God? When we become selfish about our own personal, carnal, even desires. I I don't want it to cost me to go and serve in the house of God. I don't want it to cost my resources to be able to meet the needs of the house of God. And then what happens? Why is the house of God forsaken? Forsaken? Why are you abandoning the house of God? Are you abandoning the house of God? Have you forsaken the house of God? Think about it even in a spiritual sense. Maybe the temple of God. The spiritual responsibilities that where God wants to meet you today. Have you forsaken your devotional time? Your prayer time? Are you forsaken these things? What happens when you forsake or you abandon something that you for a long time had been taking care of? Guess what happens? It starts to wither, to dry up it produces no more fruit, right? You go to your backyard and you planted something that for a long time, it produced you a lot of fruit. But for a a long time, you forsook it. You stopped to tend to it, to prune it, to water it, to make sure that it was taken care of. You think that 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 tree is going to produce you the same fruit? No, you have forsaken it. Therefore, there's no more fruit that's being produced. We better make sure that we have not forsaken the house of God. And it says, And I gathered to them together and set them in their place. He gathered the Levites together and said, You know what? Where is your place? Where do you belong? Are you distracted with doing so many other things that you're not where God has called you to be? That maybe you're doing so many different things that you are not where you belong. And I put them in their place. There's no better place to be in than in a place where God has called you. There is no better place to be than in the place that God has called you. There's so many times we overcommit ourselves with so many other things that distract us from the main thing where God has called us. He set them in their place. He put them back where they belong. And where was it that they belonged? Serving in the house of God. That's where they belonged. Serving in the house of God. And he said, why is it that you guys stopped giving? Their lack of giving was a way of forsaking the house of God as well. They weren't giving the nation of Israel here. Therefore, the Levites were not fulfilling their calling. Then all Judah, verse 12, brought the tithe and the grain and the new wine and the oil to their storehouses. What is he doing? He's restoring them. The nation of Israel started to bring now their tithe, their support. We talked about it last week. A grateful Christian will also be a generous Christian. You always know when someone, the Spirit of God is working in someone's life when they're so generous to give to the work of the Lord. And it said that they started to bring back now the offering to the house of God and I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses Shelemiah, the priest and Zadok the scribe and the Levite and Padiah and next to them was Hannah and the son of Zakur, the son of Methaniah for they were considered faithful. I appointed these people because they were considered faithful they were considered trustworthy. So he appointed them to a place of leadership, to a place to be treasures, to be able to distribute from the offerings to the Levites and to give them in accordingly to what they needed to be able to have their needs supported. And their task was to disturb it to the brethren. Remember me, verse 14, O oh my God concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. What is he doing? He's commending this work back to the Lord. Remember me, Lord, for everything that I've done. And remember these people that I've put in charge. Why? Because they were considered faithful. You want the Lord to use you in His house? Then you must be considered faithful. You want to be a steward that God has called to it rise to a different level of capacity? And it starts with you being considered faithful. We talked about it how last week, sometimes we want to appoint people and then require faithfulness. That's backwards. First, you must be considered faithful, and then you will get appointed according to the Scripture and the Word of God that it tells us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Let a man so consider as, a s- as servants of Christ as stewards of the mysteries of God. We are stewards. We are servants. We are now household ministers of God's house. Moreover, it's required that stewards be found faithful. Faithfulness in the house of God. Now, verse 15, In those days I also saw people of Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath. Now I saw people also doing business on the day that they were called to rest. This is a big one in our, in our, in our day today. Because we're so busy. We've become so busy that we have eliminated the time and where we have protected time to worship, to serve God, and to stay devoted. Now for the people here, the Jewish people, the Sabbath was a day that they didn't do anything. And they dedicated that entire day, the Sabbath, to seek the Lord. But what had happened is that they became greedy. And they said, no, if we can make some money on the Sabbath, if we can get a good deal on the Sabbath, then we'll actually start to work and implement these different things now on the Sabbath. And they were eliminated or compromising their time, their protected time with the Lord. What happens when you want to have devotional time with the Lord? Is it in a way where it's protected? One you know, the, of the biggest temptations today is to be able to have your Bible in one side and your phone in the other. How, how much of a devotional life is that? How can we really hear from God in that way? God wants protected time with you. God wants time where you just set apart for you and Him. The Sabbath was a way for them to set an entire day to seek the Lord, to be devoted. And it doesn't matter how much you're in the house of God. If you don't have to set time apart for God, then what you're doing in His house doesn't really matter. Look what it talks about here because it says that he saw now that they were doing this work. In verse 15, and those days that saw people of Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lodging donkeys with wine grapes and figs and all kinds of bur- uh, here burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. And I warned them. This is a warning for us. A warning for us that will not protect our time with the Lord. A warning for us where, where we say, you know, it's okay for me not to be in fellowship it's okay for me not to come to church. It's okay for me not to be connected to the body of Christ. To not gather with the church. Because here he warns them. He says, I warned them about that day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwell also those who, bro- who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of the Judah in Jerusalem. There were foreigners that were coming and saying, Hey, let's distract the nation of Israel and let's get them on the Sabbath. Let's give them a good deal. Let's buy and sell with them. Right? And they slowly started to lose their focus. Have you lost focus of the set apart time that you had with the Lord? Because someone gave you a call and said, it's, there's an opportunity for you to be able to do this or to do that. Because you got distracted with the cares of this world. You know what the root problem of this was? It was the problem of priorities. It was a problem of priorities. These people had something set apart for the Lord. However, they, 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 it, what became more important to them was their greed than in really honoring God and seeking God first. People had put their business ahead of their obedience to God. They had put their business, they had put their agenda, they had put their schedule ahead of their obedience to God. When God had commanded them, I want you to set boundaries. I want you to set boundaries. I want you to protect the time you worship. That's why it's important for us to set boundaries. When, when you come to the Word of God, when you come to prayer, that you set boundaries and you have the sab- Sabbath style of seeking the Lord where you're saying, I am separating myself from everything that would distract me in the Sabbath style of doing this and I want to rest to, to spend time with the Lord. I don't want to do anything else but dedicate time to worship and to seek God. That was the Sabbath style. I don't want to do anything else but to seek God today. What would happen if, if, if for an hour a day you said, I don't want to do anything else today for this next hour but to seek God? You, you know what Nehemiah did? He upheld this Sabbath promise covenant that they did with, they had with the Lord and he enforced it. Not only should you, should you set apart time with the Lord, you should enforce it. Because the enemy will do everything the enemy can to interrupt your personal devotional time with God. He will do everything he needs to do to interrupt your personal time with reading God's Word. Now verse 18, it tells us this. Did not your fathers do this? Nor our God bring all the disaster on us in our city, yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. You're bringing God's wrath and judgment here by profaning a time that God has called you to set apart so that you can fully focus on Him. So it was that at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut. I said, don't let anybody else come in. Before the Sabbath, do not let anything come in to that time. Let the gates be shut in a charge that they must not be opened until after the Sabbath. He said, I want you to shut the gates on Friday night and do not open those gates of Jerusalem until after the Sabbath. Because I don't want nothing coming in, Nehemiah said, or nothing going out that's going to interrupt their time with the Lord. Should we not protect that time just like that? We enforce our time with the Lord. Nothing comes in and nothing goes out until I spend time with the Lord. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and the sailors and all kinds of uh, wars lodged outside of Jerusalem once or twice. Now all the people that were coming, guess what they were doing? They were camping out outside of the gate. They're waiting for that gate to open. Doesn't that sound like a distraction that me and you maybe are faced with? That, that that phone call is waiting for you. That that commitment is waiting for you. That that obligation that you think you have is waiting for you. And these people were camping outside of the gate. And Nehemiah saw what was happening. These people are just waiting for me to open the gate so they can come in and interrupt that time that they have with the Lord. Now it says here that they were camping out. Then I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. <laughs> if you're doing it again, if you stick around... And you're trying to, here, disrupt this time, interrupt this time. I'm going to lay hands on you. I'm going to arrest you, he's saying here. I'm not going to allow you to come and interrupt and compromise this time. And he talks about this in, this, in verse 21. And he says, I'm going to lay hands on you. And from that time they came no more on the Sabbath. What are you doing, He was drawing the line. Is it time for us to draw the line? And say, Lord, no more will I go. And have a sloppy devotional time with you. No more will I approach your word with my mind and my heart not focused to really expect to hear your voice. You can't hear the voice of God when you're filled with distractions. He was getting them back on track so that they were prioritizing what was more important. Are you focused today? What does Nehemiah do? First he cleanses the temple, but now he's also going to cleanse the people. And it tells us here that they they... We're compromising in these areas of mixed multitude. Of allowing Tobias something to come in and take space of their, the temple of God. I'm now working on the Sabbath day. Of now bringing their tithings and their offerings to the house of God. All these four areas. In this fifth area, look what happens here. And it, and it says, And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves. And they should go and guard the gates and sanctify the Sabbath day. Cleanse themselves and guard the gates. How do you go back and you put things in order? Well, you come back and you say, Lord, we want to cleanse ourselves. We want to guard the gates. I want to guard whatever comes in into the house. I want to guard whatever comes out. Because we want to make sure that those gates are being guarded. It wasn't about the walls. It wasn't about the gates. It was about what was taking place inside those walls. And that was the Word of God. That was fellowship with God. Guarding the gates. This fifth area in which the, now they compromise, it says, In those days also saw Jews who married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Now they started to marry women or go into relationships, again, relationships in which God had not called them to be a part of. You know, it's sad when you, you see someone suffer the consequences, the heartache, and the headache, and all the pain, and all the struggle from being in a relationship that God has not called and it said, and he, he saw them marrying people or being unequally yoked with these women that God said, you ought not to do that. These women that are, are praising and they're worshiping these pagan gods because they're going to cause you to sin. It's not because God doesn't want you to have a good time. It's because they're going to cause you to sin. It's going to lead you to sin. And it says, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah but spoke according to the language of one of or the other people. You know how it was affecting them too? Their children. Their children were speaking a foreign language. Why was that important that their children were speaking a foreign language? It was big time important. It was crucial that they spoke the Jewish language. Why? Because the Jewish language, Hebrew, was the language of the Bible. And when Nehemiah came and saw that the children did not speak Hebrew, he automatically thought if they don't speak Hebrew, that means that they can't understand the Bible. You know why this affects also the home? Because then the children are not raised up the right way. The children are not raised up the right way. He saw, he came and he saw, look at the kids don't even speak the Hebrew language. How are they understanding the Word of God? You See, when you don't have two parents that are wanting to teach the full counsel of God, you're going to start to get kids that are speaking the language of the world. You're going to start to get children that are speaking the language of the world. I'll tell you, that has not been more heavy in my heart than it is now. Now that I have a son. Because it's my responsibility that I teach my son the language of the Bible. And it's your responsibility that you teach the little ones and your children the language of God's word. That your children do not come into the house of God. That I don't come into your house speaking the language of the world. What were they doing here? They didn't fulfill their responsibilities as parents because they were in relationships that God didn't call them to be in. And it affected the entire house. Sometimes you think, well, it's not going to affect anyone. It's going to affect the entire house. And it says, so I contended with them. I confronted them and cursed them and struck them. It says, and some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons nor take their daughters for your sons for yourselves. And he came and said he cursed them and he pulled their beard and he slapped them up. No, he didn't really curse them where he's saying all these bad words. And I want you to understand that. He might have been cursing now or speaking the curses of what God said would take place upon this type of behavior. And he's saying, you know what? God said that these curses would come upon those that would be conducting themselves or being a part of this type of behavior. And he went and he he started to do these things that were activities of those that were shamefully living in sin. Pulling out the beard. A practice for the shameful that were living in sin. Why why were they doing this? Because they were missing out on the lessons from the past. I pray that you don't miss out on the lessons from the past. That you're not motivated by feelings. It seems like everybody, when when, when they are discontent, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is I'm discontent because I feel. (laughs) Are you being led by your feelings today, by your emotions? Because your feelings, your emotions will cost you. They will cost you something. If it's all about pleasure and it's not about pleasing the Lord, it's all pleasure to self not pleasing the Lord, it's going to cost you significantly, specifically, the way God uses your life. And it tells us this in verse 26. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Isn't this what Solomon sinned by? By acting unfaithful? And Solomon was the wisest man, he's about to say. And he still sinned on this. And it says here, Yet among many nations was, there was no king like him who, be, who, be, uh, who was beloved of God. There was no king that God loved as much as he loved Solomon. And Solomon still sinned in this area. Why does this Why did he compare Why did he bring Solomon in the picture Because Solomon, the wisest man Ever known To us And through scripture Fail in this area How much more Are me and you Subject to also Fall in this area Sometimes we think Well I'm the exception No you're not (laughs) Well I'm exempt from this No one's exempt You are also subject To falling in this type of sin We are all and that's why he says, Did not Solomon also fall in this sin? And God made him king over all Israel? Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Pagan women caused even him to sin. Not only women, also pagan men. <laughs> Think about that, ladies. Which types of relationships do you choose to be a part of? What types of relationships do you choose to be a part of? Should we then hear of you doing all this great evil transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? Should we also hear about this? Should we hear about everything that, that's going on over there that, that you that are causing God's hand of correction because you're going into a relation that God has not approved of yet? And one of the sons of Jeodiah, the son of Eliashah, the high priest was a son-in-law of Sambalat. Sambalat was a friend of Tobiah. Now, one of the high priests had a one of here, his relatives, his son-in-law, Sambalat, in now the house of God, the whore night, Therefore, I drove him from me. I said, get away from me, Sambalat. You know what he did? He said, I don't care if that's his son-in-law. I don't care if that's family. He's defiling the high priest position of leadership and of serving God. I'll tell you this. When you signed up to serve the Lord, you signed up to live to a higher standard. And you must understand that. You can't say, I just do whatever I want. You signed up to serve God. You signed up to live at a higher standard. And that's the standard of the word of God. That's the standard of an example. That's the standard of being an example. You know what's interesting here? He says that he saw Sambala. And he knew he was a son-in-law of the high priest. And he said, Sambala, get away from here. Because you were a work of the flesh this entire time that we were trying to build. Get away from here. And you know what he does here? I drove him from me, verse 28. and verse 29 he says, remember them, oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood. Make sure that you are not defiling the priesthood. You know how you defile the priesthood? By saying, I can serve the Lord in the priesthood. I can serve the Lord in the ministry. I can serve the Lord in the house of God. But behind the scenes, I'm defiling it. He said, get away from me, you're defiling the priesthood. And he said, I, I, I removed him because he was defying the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. What was the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites? That they would remain pure, that they would remain holy, that they would remain separated and sanctified in, in holiness. Thus I cleanse them of every pagan thing. Cleanse them from every worldly thing. What are the worldly things that we're struggling with today? What are the things that maybe are fighting against our time with the Lord? It's interesting because these are the areas that led to the nation of Israel to be to become backslidden. And it says there's I cleanse them, and I also assigned duties to the priests and the Levites, each to a service, and the bring of the wood offering and the first fruits at the appointed times. He cleansed the place, and he also appointed and assigned it now responsibility. And look how he ends the book of Nehemiah here. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. Can that be our prayer today? How did he begin the book? How did we see Nehemiah in the first When we get introduced to Nehemiah in chapter 1. Nehemiah starts the book here with prayer. And he ends the book with prayer. Do you remember in Nehemiah chapter 1, it was an entire prayer. And he taught us here something. How much prayer is important in the life of the leader. How much prayer is important in the life of those that are serving and it's interesting to know this because all of these promises in which they backslid and where Nehemiah comes and confronts them and Nehemiah comes and, and really uh, applies the word of God were promises now that they had broken. But what's comforting about this? That what makes you right with God are not promises that you broke. But what makes you right with God are promises that he completed. <laughs> and that's amazing that we can end on that note. What makes us right with God are not any of the promises that we vowed to do but we broke. What makes us right with God are all the promises that He vowed and every single one that He completed through His Word. And because of that, we can be right with God. We're not saved by our broken promises, but we're saved by His completed ones. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, today for Your Word. And we ask, Lord, should we need, Lord, the stretching, Lord, the conviction, Lord, of your word, Lord, that you would have applied that to our lives today, God. I pray for any of us here, Lord, that maybe are becoming distracted, Lord. We can even become distracted with ministry, Lord. We can even become distracted, Lord, and lose focus. What you called us to do, Lord, because we want to please people, because we want to fit in, We ask, Lord, that we would not be people, Lord, that look to please the world before we please you, God. I pray, Lord, that our houses would be filled with the language of Scripture. That we would not serve any type of pagan or any carnal appetite, Lord. And I pray, Lord, if there's any appetites that are surfacing, Lord, in our lives, Anything that we're becoming hungry or thirsty for, God. That we need your help with, Lord. That the Holy Spirit would come, Lord, and just help us, Lord. That you would give us the strength, Lord. To not give in to the appetites that do not please you. We thank you, Lord, because we're not saved because of our broken promises, Lord. We thank you, Lord, because you keep every single promise that you make. And because of that, Lord... We can say, remember me, oh God, for good. I pray, Lord, that you would change the way we pray, God. That we would have a savage style of devotional time. Where we guard the gates and say, I don't want nothing to come in or nothing to come out that would interrupt my time with God, my worship with God. That that would be a sacred time, Lord. I pray, Lord, that the time would not be rushed. That we would not be in a hurry in your presence. So many times, Lord, we enter into your presence in a hurry, Lord. I pray that you would slow us down in your presence. That we would get to know you, Lord. And we pray this all in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen.